Friends, welcome to a very special free episode of Momophilia. That's right. We've released her from behind the paywall. Uh, and in case you haven't pieced it together, the title is a play on our original title, Homophilia. Yes. But now it's it's more. It's Mo. It's Mo. Momophilia. Give us some Mo. But uh, appropriately, we also have a, a Mo in this uh, episode. Yes, we do. Morgan Walsh. Yes. Who sometimes goes by Mo. Sure. And Morgan Walsh is uh, a dear friend, and she, along with Keiko Feldman, uh, formed an organization called Gender Nation, which donates inclusive, uplifting, and LGBTQ plus affirming storybooks to California public schools. It's an incredible organization. It really is. She's an incredible person. And uh, did we all uh, lose it crying during this episode? Yes, we did. Oh, yeah. Yes, we did. Good luck not sobbing. Uh, Truly, she is is doing the Lord's work. Yes. Uh, Also on the show, uh, a a woman who you came into contact with at the LGBT Center. That's right. Some time ago. Yes. Nia Clark. Nia Clark is an... Advocate and activist, and uh, is also uh, doing some work with Big Brothers Big Sisters at the moment. And this interview was really like a master. This really sort of distills everything, all the reasons we wanted to do this spinoff in terms of talking to true experts. And she right. is is one. You know, this is essentially a free TED Talk from Nia yeah. Clark. Yeah, it's it's an inspirational moment. Yeah. With an inspirational person. And that is truly what this show is all about. If you haven't listened to Momophilia, uh, what we wanted to do with this is talk about kind of the bigger issues that we sometimes get into in the podcast, but really focus on them. So we're talking to experts like Nia Clark, like Dr. Alan Downs, who wrote uh, The Velvet Rage, like sexual health expert Dr. Joe Court, uh, and many more. And, uh, and then also spend some time talking to people who are not in the LGBT community but who are solid allies. Yes. Like a Paul F. Tompkins, a Kulap Vilaisak. June Diane Raphael. My God. You know, we've discriminated against our cishet friends for far too long. And it's time they had their moment. Yes, but only for a miniseries. That's all we can allow them. Uh, The rest of Momophilia is available to you on Stitcher Premium. Uh, If you want to get a free month, stitcherpremium.com slash homo is your promo code. Yep. Promo code HOMO for a free month. You can binge all the episodes, a ton of other free content on there, ad-free. And it's also just a good way to support us. Let us know that you love us as much as we love you, which guess what? Is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks thanks for listening as always, folks. Yeah. Uh, And please enjoy Nia Clark and Morgan Walsh. We're back with Nia Clark. Nia, how's your day? My day's going well. I was in traffic today, um, but I mean, (laughs) that's the LA experience. That's what we're here for, Mm -hmm. is the condition. Yes. I'm slowly getting, trying to be the the good uh, Samaritan when it comes to driving, like letting people cut me off and not taking it personally. It's it's actually interesting because I bring up um, this whenever people ask about use of they, them pronouns, Mm -hmm. uh, because people often say, well, it doesn't sound grammatically correct to use it in a singular form. And I say, well, think about when you're driving on the street and someone cuts you off and you don't know who's in the front. Your first instinct is to say, they just came out of nowhere. They just yeah. cut me off. Yeah. And so you think about it and actually it does work. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we met when 
I was volunteering for the LGBT Center Life Works program. Yes, and uh, you were working there. What well, I don't know, I know actually what your your title was. So I was mentoring coordinator um, uh, at a program called Life Works, which is the youth development and mentoring program at the Los Angeles LGBTQ Center. Um, my job was um, basically to provide. Um, peer-to-peer and one-on-one mentoring opportunities to uh, queer youth ages 24 and under. And you, uh, I believe you were my first or second match, like ever. I had just started. You were like, yeah, "Yeah, I was just on the job. And where were you before that? I hail from Boston, Massachusetts. Go Mm -hmm. Sox. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had been working in child welfare for a very long time. and, but I doing direct service in mental health. And so working with um, emotionally disturbed children and young adults, and it became very taxing. So I was given this opportunity. I was um, actually doing a training at, in Rutger, at Rutgers in New Jersey with a friend of mine, uh, Michael Ferreira. Michael, who is actually the founder of the LifeWorks program. Mm. And he had never trained with me before. We were training for a human rights campaign. And we had never done a training together before, and he loved my training style. He loved my wealth of knowledge, my frame of reference, having been a former foster youth myself. And he said, I have a job, and I think you'd be perfect for it. And so I moved 3,000 miles across the country. Wow. And what did the job entail? So my job basically is to find um, adults in the community, whether they be LGBTQ or allies. And I don't just say allies. I like to say accomplices or Uh co-conspirators. Finding folks who actually um, are at a point in their lives where um, they've got it together as far as their career, as far as their emotional health, as far as their mental health, who want to offer an opportunity to um, build up a young person. You know, a lot of people um, understand, um, sorry, I get a little academic sometimes. Please, we love it. So uh, there was a behaviorist um, by the name of Vygotsky, and he wrote about something called sociocultural theory, and specifically about guided participation. And guided participation is essentially an older person or a person with more experience teaching a person with lesser experience the ways of the world. And that's really what my function was. Mm. Um, A lot of people don't realize it, but on kind of a micro level, this is really taking a young person who um, may be just going through some struggles with synthesizing their uh, sexual gender identity and helping them to build some essential life skills, um, social skills, independent living skills. But on a macro level, this is a very radical form of activism, um, queer activism, because you have folks like Matt who are older, who are teaching young queer folks how to show up for themselves and to show up for the community. And it's essentially ensuring that our community not only survives, but thrives. Did you have anyone in your life like that? I did, um, around the age of 15, um, because I had been bouncing around from foster home to foster home. I was in the system for 14 years in 15 different placements in two states. Um, And around that time, around 15, I met um, a man by the name of Rob Warnoff, 
And he had been just trying to find, like, create opportunities in Massachusetts, in Boston. Um, he had um, really been in New York amid the AIDS crisis. He was in his 20s in the AIDS crisis and just saw his entire community just being ravaged. Um, and he found out that Boston and Massachusetts was getting some funding to create programming for queer kids um, because what they were seeing was a lot of young people who were experiencing homelessness, they were trying to get housing and couldn't. But if they were HIV positive, they could. Um, and so many young people were intentionally serial converting just to get a place to live. And so it spoke to a myriad of, of issues like how do you address that? And so he helped to actually start up some uh, prevention programs. And I actually was one of the youth in, you know, those prevention programs. I was an HIV AIDS educator uh, way back in the 90s. Um, and it was an opportunity for me to become like a leader. It was an opportunity for me to learn about sex because, you know, as someone who is a gender minority in foster care, you're more concerned with where your garbage bags are going to be sent to next. Like you're just going from place to place and everyone constantly um, uh, invalidating your existence and believing that it's really a mental health issue. So working with Rob and working, you know, with, you know, the agency that he was at, it gave me an opportunity to build some, not only resiliency, but some skills and, and opportunity to really learn about my community and learn what the community's needs are, learn what some of the deficits, some of the, you know, areas of improvement. So it was a really powerful experience. I, I got masked, I learned how to master uh, my bodily autonomy. I actually wasn't so afraid of sex anymore. And I actually started having conversations about what it was like to have sex as a, as a trans youth, you know, and what that looked like. I actually could learn about healthy relationships. People get so wrapped up in, um, the sex itself. Um, I saw this a lot in mentorship where there would be this kind of in, like generational divide among um, especially older uh, gay mentors and, and, and some of the gay boys that they were mentoring around sex, around uh, risk, around that. And the default is always, do you know the risk? You know, the lecture. And young people tune out that lecture. But what you what I was able to learn instead was, Let's have a conversation about relationships. So instead of having a con instead of focusing so much on unprotected sex, what creates the environment in your relationship where you don't feel like you want to ask what their status is? Do you know what your status is? As opposed to focusing so much on the behavior. What okay, so you don't you're afraid that this person may leave you if you have unprotected sex. Okay. What what if you are afraid that this person may leave you, then this is really about relationships and communication. It's not so much about the risk piece as there is about, uh, you know, self-esteem, as there is about asking for what you need, as in, you know, 
mutuality in a relationship. And these are all things just circling back. Sometimes I go all the way around the, oh, the rotary. We're with you. All right. <laughs> um, but circling it back to mentorship, like, you know, adults being able to provide that guidance and saying, okay, so let's not focus so much on the lecture of do you know the risks and you know what's out there, you know what can happen to you, as opposed to, okay, What's going on in your relationship? What's going on in this dynamic that you feel you cannot um, you cannot speak right. about these issues with your partner, someone you're going to actually be intimate with in, in this way? Right. It all comes down to your relationship with yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think so often we are made to feel like just existing is is asking enough of the rest of the world, hmm. you know, so to, to then take the extra step and ask for what you actually need, you're made to feel selfish or self-involved or, or whatever. Or attention seeking. Right. I just, um, I was doing a training. Um, I, I'm the national, one of the national LGBTQ mentoring coaches for big brothers, big sisters of America. And we're essentially taking what everything that LifeWorks did here in California and we're expanding it to provide more mentoring services across the country. So we're working in really some, some, some tough areas, some really uh, well-established areas. But I was doing a training in uh, Virginia last month, uh, specifically with mentors who had not had any training um, when it came to working with sexual and gender minorities. And I remember one of them, uh, an older woman, she said, you know, I support, you know, the gays and the lesbians. That was, <laughs> I was like, well, okay. okay. No, something good's coming. Um, I support the gays and the lesbians, you know. I just don't understand why they have to let everyone know, like, who they love or, you know, because you're not who they love. Who they have sex with is just none of my business. It's none of anyone's business. And to her, I said, okay, well, think about it this way. Say, for instance, you're at a restaurant and you're sitting with someone and you see a couple who you presume to be a straight couple, man and a woman, and you see the guy pull out of small box, get down on his knees, and propose to that woman. Would you then get up from your table, walk up to them and say, you know, this is all great, but what, who you <laughs> sleep with is none of my business. Yeah. We get relegated to sexual acts. Mm. We get relegated to gender expression. But our identities, who we are, who we love, those are not considered appropriate conversations. People don't think beyond that if they are cisgender and heterosexual. And so I try to use that as an example in training. Think about the kiss cams that you see when you go to, mm. to, to events, you know. What, do, people, do you see people typically recoiling and saying, oh, I don't want to know who they're having sex with. Yeah. It really comes down to a level of comfortability with the idea of sex itself. But looking at people holistically, intersectionality, that people can be just like myself, Black, trans, and a woman. It's only one fragment. It's a proportion that makes the whole. Yeah. Mia, you're brilliant. I just love <laughs> listening to you speak. Um, I, but I, I, I'm, I'm curious more about your own story and biography and how you learned, how you became this amazing woman that you are now. Your own journey. Can you just walk us through more of the timeline of your own journey from, you know, a trans youth in the foster care system mm-hmm. to an educator and 
where you are today? In 1983. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> no. that Take us all the way back. So, um, I, you know, I lived in Boston, Massachusetts. In Boston, you know, I, I live with my mother. Uh, my birth father abandoned her um, as an infant. So I never knew his name. I did, he wasn't listed on my birth certificate, nothing. And my mother decided that. She was very uh, determined to do things on her own. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, that did not work out so well for her. She really wasn't the best parent. She was an excellent provider, but not the best parent. And so very early on, uh, she became physically abusive um, and eventually I, you know, ended up in the foster care system around the age of eight. Um, by then she had moved us to um, a different state and I had gone to school kind of complaining of um, some injuries from a beating and I ended up entering the foster care system at that time. So my very first foster home, uh, this was in Silver Spring, Maryland, and I had who I believe to be a wonderful foster mother, um, uh, Emma Patterson. And she was warm. She was loving. She was also an educator. And I, I had, I had been feeling different for a very long time. I had automatically assumed because I liked boys that, um, that equaled gay. Um, though, and, and this is 1991 and I really didn't have too much language to articulate it. Um, and, and you're still very young. You to, to even be thinking about your sexuality in any way. Mm -hmm. You had a real awareness. Yes. But I wasn't so, as focused on my sexuality as I was a, about me when I looked in the mirror, when I socialized with girls, when I looked at very feminine things, all things typically associated with women and and females. And I remember being very bold um, within the first few weeks of that foster placement and telling my foster mom that I felt I, I was a girl, that I was a girl. And again, like I said, this is 1991, when people are, really don't know anything about gender minorities outside of what they saw on Donahue, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and the like. And so she tried her best to give me an explanation of what that might look like for me as an adult. She talked about a sex change operation. Mm. Um, but at the end of the conversation, I actually felt supported. I felt uh, loved. I felt um, this, this could be a foster to adopt situation. In fact, that was the plan for me to be adopted by her. Um, it was about a week or two later that I learned that was not the case. Uh, she had me placed in a mental institution where I would spend six months. Um, and I remained there until I stopped telling people that I was a girl. And so what I learned from this is that, number one, adults are not to be trusted. And number two, my own mind is not to be trusted. So I went back into the closet for another eight years. Meanwhile, I'm bouncing around from placement to placement, foster home to foster home. Um, and this is around the time that I actually entered those um, uh, prevention programs in Boston. I'd moved back by this time. And uh, while working at this child welfare agency, I um, met this woman named Karen. And she was a fellow, she was a, a social welfare advocate. She worked with um, uh, women who were survivors of domestic abuse. And I would see her outside of the agency all the time. And we kind of built this rapport. And eventually she found out about my living situation. And she 
you know, we spent more time together and she decided to be my foster mom. And here I am at 15, really thinking to myself, okay, I know that I am, I am not a boy. I don't know how to explain this. I don't want to go through this process again with another person. Um, but this is someone who might actually want to adopt me. And it, it went there. It went to the place of, of adoption. And I decided before we went into the courthouse, I wanted to tell her what my truth was. And I said to her, that I, I am a girl and I want you to know that if you don't want me, I understand. Um, but this is who I am. And she said, oh, well, I love you. I accept you for who you are. I, you know, I think this is great. But just with one condition. You can dress however you want, as long as it's in the house. I don't want the neighbors to talk about it. Um, I don't want to draw attention to myself. Um, you'll get beat up at school. Every other reason than validating my existence. And so if you're 15 years old and you've never had an opportunity to express yourself um, and to really synthesize your identity, you make concessions, as all foster children do. You make concessions. And so like this, I was okay with that for a while. And then I started noticing I felt more natural at home mm. than I did anywhere else. I felt more comfortable at home. And so I started embedding more and more pieces of feminine clothing into my attire. And she would protest. She would um, make her little eye rolls. She would make her comments. But it wasn't until I... Um, was a junior in high school and I transferred to a new high school um, out of safety concerns um, because of my gender expression that she took major issue. I went to the interview, um, to the actual interview to go to the school, um, dressed as the Vesuvius of a woman you see today. Mm -hmm. uh, she said nothing. Uh, I want to say maybe a week or two later, she brought me to uh, the Suffolk County Probate Court sat us down with the attorney who had helped with the adoption. The two of them sat across from me at a table and proceeded to give me the following ultimatum. They said, you can either uh, go home and live as a boy or you go back into foster care and you go and do and dress however you want, but not in my house. And it, uh, it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks because, you know, even as an adult now, my focus has always been on, you know, there are these three tenets, these three building blocks of child welfare, which are safety and permanency and well-being. And imagine having to choose between these tenets and your gender identity. And I often say, and, you know, even in training, that that's a decision no, no child or young person should ever, ever, ever have to make. But I did. And I went back into foster care until um, I aged out as an adult. Um, the the greatest thing, the, the the most empowering moment, though, was leaving that courthouse. I was determined to never, I said to myself, I'm never letting this happen to me again or to any other kids again. And so when I aged out of the system, the system actually hired me. Hmm. Um, they said, we think that you have some invaluable experience as someone who actually was has navigated this system. And we've seen you grow up and do this advocacy work. You did HIV AIDS education. You've done lobbying, you know, uh, all of this great work that you've done. 
So why don't you start out doing residential counseling? And I started out as a residential counselor. I did it for about eight years, you know, working with youth who were in juvenile justice, uh, working with youth who were in the foster care system, mostly transition age youth um, who were aging out, and then moved into, into mental health and became an activities coordinator. I really found um, my stride in helping to find activities that would empower young people. So especially things like volunteerism and community service. And so I, I circled back. I, I mentioned that because this aha moment, my entire adult career has been the aha moment. Because as a child, I was not uh, treated well. Um, the adults who were tasked with my care who were responsible for me, um, they did not um, respond well. And now I am the adult who responds. And it is my function and my purpose and role and my joy, immense joy in teaching other adults how to respond. And that in itself must be incredibly healing because I just, when I hear your story, I just think about like, how, how does someone go through that many traumas and still come out being such a, such a self-actualized person? Because I'm queer. That is like our superpower. Resiliency is our superpower. We really, we have been so much gets thrown at us as queer folks. And you, we, many of us have learned to adapt. I feel like it is primordial for us to learn how to adapt to situations that are not convenient, that are not safe. And we persevere. That's what we do. Yeah. How, how do you learn to trust again after all of those experiences in your youth? Um, you mean trusting people yeah. in general? It is a, it's a constant work. I'm a constant work in progress. I trust, but verify. Uh (laughs) So when it comes to like my bubbles, like my professional bubbles, um, I'm deemed an an expert in what I do. I'm deemed an authority um, in this work and, you know, being a national LGBTQ youth um, advocate and uh, expert. And so people typically, you know, seek me out. And so in order to really broker that trust, I let them know, like, these are what my expectations are for the work that we'll do. And this is what I hope that you have the propensity to to offer as well. Um, when it comes to my inner circle, that is, like I said before, you know, 14 years, that's a long time to be in a system where you're bounced around and all of your relationships are really transitional. You really feel like a nomad. And so it's hard to find roots. Um, but I... I push through the discomfort because I know that human beings die in isolation. And I know, especially for gender minorities of color, trans women of color, we are an endangered species. And so I will do anything to survive. Um, You know, I want to have healthy relationships. I want to um, be able to trust people. And so I offer it. Um, And so I continue to work on trust, as many of us do. Um, but I, pers- you know, I push through that discomfort so that I can have healthy relationships. Um, you know, one of the activities 
that I actually made Matt do uh, in his mentor training. I've, I would love to pick your brain and hear what you thought of uh, about your your training experience. Yeah. Um, but one of the activities that we do is called a life map. It's a life mapping exercise. And I ask all of the mentors in the training, okay, I want you to start with your birth year. And then I want you to chronicle for me some of the most important highs and lows, the peaks and the valleys of your life. Um, and this is an activity not only to build community in that room, you know, all these other adults are embarking on the same journey of working with a young person, but also at the end of the activity, I ask them to move beyond everything they've experienced and to draw or write what they see as a future for themselves. And it's so important that they're able to complete that act, that part of the activity. When mentors aren't able to complete that part, it, it for me, it begs the question, if you don't see a future for yourself, if you don't have things to aspire to or work toward, how can I entrust you with this young person who is embarking on that journey now? A young person wants to look up to someone who is also a continuing piece of work, who's also working on themselves. And the same thing goes for me. I know that relationships are hard for me. Um, building trust with folks is hard for me, but I want to be intentional about um, pulling all of the folks in. And so I'm doing that work so I can encourage young people to do that work. I do remember the, you know, the thing that stands out to me the most about the the training day in particular was you. I mean, you, 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 you owning the room and you telling your story and it just, it gave it a, you know, just a sense of importance, you know, um, and, and also that I remember that there were just like maybe one or two adults in there who were kind of misbehaving. I was sort of shocked and just the way that you navigated that with such dignity, it was inspiring. It was all, it was, you know, it, the, the Nia Clark story was a big, um, part of my experience there. You, you know, you're, you know, an inspiration to me, but also to all the, the youth. Um, and, but I think as far as the actual mentoring, I did, I, I mentored two back to back and, um, and I think I really lucked out because they were just so well adjusted and easy. And we, we did all the things Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, it really became like, a, you know, just a, a friendship, you know, in, in a way, an, an appropriate one, of course, but also that um, I guess I felt like I, in a weird way, had it easy because these were not kids who were suffering, you know, struggling in a oh, major see, way. I disagree. I think that you had just as much of a task hmm. because... You know, I hear this so often with mentors because there are expectations that many adults have when they work with young people who are going through things. Or there's this perception that if a young person is seeking out mentorship, that they're, you know, they're going through like they're going through it, you know. But I believe that you had um, even more of a responsibility because the young people that I tasked you with were doing well. And your job was to maintain that wellness. Mm. Because all it takes is one incident. All it takes is one serial conversion. All it takes is one, 
you know, bad semester. All it takes is that one thing that many queer folks go through and it turns their whole world upside down. But to have you as a touch point, that is so important to have to maintain wellness. I think a lot of people really undervalue that. So I would toot your horn hmm. a little bit You're more. Very sweet. Yeah. It's also got a very calming energy. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you talk to a Matt McConkie and it's like suddenly your day is going better. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's the truth. Do you miss working at the center? I miss working with the kids. Yeah. I don't miss the center politics. Um, but I loved my experience there building community because in Boston, I'm mean, very racially segregated um, and uh, there aren't there isn't as much representation from folks of color in the queer community mm. out here. There is um, you excuse me. It helped that I already had a, like a, a, a tribe. But I got to, you know, envelop even more folks into that tribe. I mean, I'm literally interviewing hundreds and hundreds of folks, finding out their interests, finding out what, you know, what they like to do. And I befriended some of the volunteers that ended up, you know, mentoring youth. And that was a great experience. I Some of the mentors, and I still have relationships with today. I mean, I'm on a podcast mm-hmm. today. Here we are. <laughs> yeah. So I really found my community. I think... You know, the the best part is I've gone back to Boston and um, dealt with, you know, transphobic comments, you know, slurs, things like that. And I am like, I am unapologetically queer. Hmm. And the center did that. I don't think I'll ever be in a position where I would stifle my identity again. Um, I see what what happens in mentorship when with adults that serve youth or work with youth when they have grown up stifling their identities for a really long time. You know, they believe that because they're functioning well, having a great job, having a degree, that they can offer this guidance. But if you haven't done that work around your identity, if it's been stifled, if you stifled it in order to protect yourself, it's going to manifest itself in that relationship too. And it's going to impact the trust. Mm. How does it manifest itself? I have seen, um, I've seen mentors who um, are very judgmental of the young people that they're working with, especially when it comes to sex, when it comes to having conversations around sex. I think that there's this misconception that, you as an adult can't talk about sex. And you can, you just can't talk about the sex that you have. Right. You know, you can find a third party. So like a lot of the mentors are like, I don't think I could go there. And a lot of people feel that way about working with youth, period. But working with queer kids, it's so important to create body positivity and sex positivity. So you would see me having to have those conversations and mediations, you know, Um uh, encouraging mentors to take their kids to Center WeHo, the Center WeHo, just to get a, a screening or to sit down with the doctor to have those conversations. You see that happening. You see a lot of mentors who specifically come in and seek out mentorship or want to work with um, queer kids so that they have a buddy. Hmm. I want a hiking buddy. I want someone that, you know, I can go and do fun stuff with. And that's really about an aesthetic. That's not really about helping a young person. Um, I've seen mentors as I'm interviewing them, you hear it. Cause I ask every, I ask Matt too about his, your coming out story. I ask every single person that I interviewed about the coming out experience and where things are at now with their families, where things are at now, who they're out to. And you'd be amazed how many high profile folks are in this city 
who are just not okay with their queerness, who are not okay with being LGBTQ, um, at least uh, beyond, you know, individual conversations. I'm curious your take on, um, you know, this evolution that the queer community has, and also in terms of representation that, you know, we came up in this time in the 80s and 90s where um, there was this, you know, a certain level of acceptance, but it was it's traditionally always white, cis, gay men mm-hmm. at the forefront and, and, and sort of treated as the face of the community. And it's really only in recent years that we finally started to to course correct mm-hmm. and um, that, you know, the, the language that we use and the understanding of who is in our community and who um, just how, how much privilege we may have, even though we consider ourselves marginalized. But I'm curious if you, in your work, if you have seen that evolve in a way that you find you know, positive. Yes, especially um, in some of the national trainings that I do, um, the aha moments that happen, um, the transition, the just shifting the language. You know, I, I do a lot of activities around language because that seems to be what a lot of folks get tripped up on. Mm. Why are all these words, you know, what are we talking about, cisgender? Are we talking about gender nonconforming, non-binary? What all this language? Why does everyone need a label? Why does everyone mm. need this language? And what I, you know, say often in training is, you know, we have always um, existed. Gender minorities have existed since the beginning of human civilization. We look at even the Native Americans. Um, Wewa, who is, you know, a princess um, here in the United States, was born here, um, who was also uh, an orphan. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is back in the 1800s, was someone who was a two-spirit. And in her community, they recognize as many as five genders. And so just making people aware of that, and then, and then giving, providing some parallels, um, especially around um, feminine femininity, and because that seems to be a, a big bone of contention for folks too. So I bring up uh, examples like Castor Semenya, the South African runner, who, um, for folks who don't know, um, is uh, in, was someone who had competed in the the last Summer Olympics, um, but. People felt like based on her, uh, the cues that she was giving off as far as gender cues, they indicated to folks that she was more masculine presenting and she was required by the Olympic Committee to undergo genetic testing to prove she was in fact assigned like female. Um, she was female, but had uh, uh, just produced more testosterone than most. And so having conversations around this, okay, this is someone who is is female, but based on our perceptions, based on the assumptions that we make, this is someone who literally is a woman, was assigned female at birth, who still had to be subject to the social construct of gender. Mm-hmm. So having those parallels. And then when it comes just circling back to the language, if we as a society don't use, like think, think about the words that we used to use in our society to describe um, other people. Um, to describe um, different communities. There was a time when we used to refer to folks as mentally retarded. 
And that was socially acceptable. Mm-hmm. That was literally the textbook definition. Those were the words. We don't use that term anymore. There was a time when we referred to Asian folks as Oriental. Mm-hmm. And we don't use that term anymore. It has become outdated. Those communities have spoken up and proclaimed that these words don't fit our narratives, right? If we can go from Negro to colored to Afro-American to Black to African-American and now back to Black, then we can recognize that as a society that language changes and evolves to meet the needs of the communities uh, that they describe. And so that's what this is about. So, yes, are you, you know, one thing just to to think about, like, you're never going to memorize all of the new language that is out there to describe the myriad of identities, you know, related to sexual and and gender minorities. But the identities have always been there. It's just now with, uh, it's, I think we've reached a a period in, in time where I think that queer folks are finally being able to be honest about their experiences and be honest about their attractions and be able to talk to other people about how those attractions work and how those identities, you know, um, manifest for them. And I think, you know, the best quote that I love to use in training uh, that Rob, my my mentor, had actually taught me was from uh, Tales of the City. There's a trans character named Mrs. Madrigal. And she says, you don't have to keep up, dear. You just have to keep open. Hmm. And if more folks in the queer community, specifically um, gay men, gay cisgender men, would adopt that, I think we'd get a lot further as a community. I think the division will continue to uh, detract us from our, our power. I, I believe that we, are, we don't um, step into our power as much, and that's because we're so divided. Um, I was actually, I never respond to people online. I read the comments, things like that. But I, I want to say it was last week, um, the out, um, ad, advocate had put out an article about the 14th black trans woman who'd been murdered in the U.S. And there was a cis white gay guy who actually put out a, put a list together of things that he felt would um, remedy this situation of um, black transgenders, which is, mm. oh, don't ever call me a transgender. Mm-hmm. It's an adjective. Mm-hmm. Um, it describes a person, place, or thing. So as a transgender woman. Um, but some just giving a list of, you know, actions that everyone else in the community should take so that more of us are not murdered. Um, those things being that... Um, Queer folks in general should abstain from cruising, that um, we should not be encouraging um, Black trans women to engage in sex work, that they choose to engage in sex work because it's easy money, um, that we should now not allow uh, trans folks to trick straight men, um, and that they should actually out trans women with straight men. Oh my God. Um, it's just like this, very, like a very detailed list. And this is a community member. This is a, a person who identifies as gay. And so, you know, that's the work there. Oh, so please tell me you eviscerated in the comments. I did. <laughs> you know, I, but you know what? I, I'm, try, I'm trying this whole thing. Um, my boss at Big Brothers Big Sisters um, National, she is a yoga instructor. And she says, 
you know, when you are, are hearing some of these negative comments or when you're doing this work, sometimes it's important to try to listen as a learner. Mm-hmm. Because the, for whatever reason, this is someone who is trying to be intentional about preventing murders. Um, for whatever reason, it's a very skewed, very horrible, you know, way to go about it because you should never do anything about us without us. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you can see that it's clear that there's he put this together maybe to be divisive, but also he sees that there's a, sees there's a problem. So trying to suspend some of that judgment and just really trying to explain my own narrative and saying, you know, not all Black trans women are prostitutes, um, are, are sex workers. And many of us um, have to resort to sex work because there are policies in place that prohibit us from getting jobs. Or um, we may have uh, dropped out of school or entered the school-to-prison pipeline. Um, we may have engaged in survival sex that we later became criminalized and ended up in this in the system. Um, and because of that, aren't able to, to be gainfully employed. Um, just kind of shedding a light on on what really is going on. Um, so other examples like that. Mm. You know, like another example, I was I had I was having lunch with um, another colleague um, who had been talking about um, at his apartment complex, there was a black trans woman who had been squatting in his laundry room. And he complained about it. Um, eventually, you know, she had to be removed by, I believe the police removed her. But when they removed her, they found out that she had defecated in one of the washing machines. Mm-hmm. And he kind of really complained about it and said, oh, this is just so gross and it's really inconvenient. And I said, can you imagine what condition a person has to be in to not only squat in a laundry room, but to maybe not necessarily feel so safe with Ben Carson uh, repealing policies for trans folks to even be in shelters. Um, as many great policies and laws as there are in California, it's not so much about the policies as it is about the practice. When you walk into those agencies, when you walk in to get those services, if you don't feel welcome, you would rather just do what you know and find any hole and, and hope that nobody bothers you. So imagine having to be relegated to defecating in a washing machine. Imagine not feeling comfortable accessing public facilities or public accommodations. Imagine feeling so horribly about yourself and your existence that you don't care where you dispose of your waste. Yeah. It, it it's unimaginable and but that's that's the work that we have to do and so i share these stories i share these narratives to just bring awareness vulnerability is really key by sharing everything that's happened to me and to my trans brethren i hope to open doors in people's minds i hope to ha- create more aha moments you know i think um We've got so much more work to do, but I I still see these great moments, and especially with young people. 
I believe that they teach us more than we could ever teach them. I believe that where they're taking the queer community, we are going to be, our minds are going to be blown in the not too distant future. Um, I'm especially learning, even me as a gender like minority who believes that I, you know, I have it all together. I'm so knowledgeable. I'm a trainer. I do this mm-hmm. work nationally. I'm still coming to terms with learning about um, the different facets of my own community and the different identities that have always existed that I have not been aw- as aware of. I have, I drank the Kool-Aid as far as the gender binary too. And so I'm learning about um, you know, that there isn't just masculine, feminine, that there is the spectrum and that just to welcome folks in all forms of life um, who come from that spectrum. Um, same thing when it comes to sexuality, you know, learning so much more about sexuality. We didn't as, know as much before. Yeah. We were so wrapped up in making sure we weren't dying as a community. And now as we're moving beyond that, I think as we get more cerebral and intellectual about our queerness, I think older generations are like, come on, we were in this fight. We're yeah. fight, fight, fight. And even with, you know, uh, you know, a lot of the older trans women I know, they're still in this fight, fight, fight mode. But let's do some cerebral work. Let's let's do more work in academia. Let's learn more about what makes us tick as well so we can explain these experiences, so we can better advocate for ourselves, so we can better explain to folks who are cishet or cisgender heterosexual. Let's listen as learners. Mm-hmm. Is that the phrase? Listen oh, as yeah. a learner. Listen, listen as, as a learner. learner. If someone wants to get involved as a mentor to the LGBTQ community, where would you direct them? I would direct them to the LifeWorks program at the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Um, you can visit lifeworks.org. Um, fill out an application. Um, they've got amazing programs. They're always looking for volunteers. They're always looking for mentors, people who want to work with young people. But just remember, the advice I always give is whatever expectations you have of this work, whatever expectations about the kind of young person you'll be working with, put those away because it's not about you. It's Mm. about them. And where can people find you? You can find me. um, I'm on Instagram. Um, uh, You can visit uh, n.i.a.clark. On Instagram. Doing it right now. Mm-hmm. Gonna find you too. Mm-hmm. Yes, find me. Find me. Nia Clark, thank you so, so much, so much for this, for everything. You're the best. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And I just want to say you're a great mentor. So. <laughs> thank you. How does my hair look in headphones? Everybody's wow. hair looks good in headphones. I've gone for low lights so I can have a grow out, and it's really accentuating my my low lights. And it's give it's pulling back in just the perfect way, and then popping out right in the back. I mean, great. I I don't wear headphones, but I would if I looked that good. In Thank headphones. you so much. It looks very natural. You look like you're about to step up and do a do a line in a song, a charity <gasps> benefit song. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Not like We Are the World. Yeah. We are the world. I just yeah. watched the making of that. Oh, wow. It's so good. It's on YouTube. Really? It's so good. You have to put all your Michael Jackson stuff aside. Right. Sure. Of course. Which is hard. Got to compartmentalize in this world. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, I can't anymore. I can't listen to mm-hmm. him. Like Any I of get, it? I think I've turned a corner and I can't. Wow. Okay. And it's hard. Yeah, I know. Before the documentary came out, I watched the making of the We Are the World before yeah. the HBO. So I'm just cautioning people. Right. Okay. Who else are standouts in the documentary? Kenny Loggins. Oh. Really? Yes. God, he has the voice of an angel. Yeah. He was at Love his him. prime. That that was peak oh. Kenny Loggins, I think. Such good hair. So handsome. We have... Ev- Diana Ross. We sure. have Diana Ross. We have... Um, Ray Charles. Ray Charles. Cindy yes. Lauper. Yeah. Yeah, Huey and Lewis. Ray Charles goes back in. You know the... I think it was, was it Smokey Robinson who was, oh, I'm going to, no, Quincy Jones. Mm-hmm. Guys, we're going to have to fact check. But Quincy Jones produced the whole thing with Michael, and they told everyone to check their egos at the door. Yep. Mm-hmm. To just come in, do your thing, here's your part, don't worry about it. But some people came back, and Ray Charles was one of them. Really? Who came did like back. A, yeah, they had him come in a second oh. time to record some stuff. Later yeah. that night. Okay. It was over. It was overnight. Vinny. It was. Hi. It was. Uh, it always a bummer to me that there was no. Thank you. We don't have a Madonna. Yeah. Ooh, there were certain ones who just sat it out. Prince. Yeah. Famously. Why do you? Th- you mean were they not asked? I can't imagine that. I they Prince didn't make the cut. willfully sat it out. I think because of Michael Jackson. I think he just didn't. He didn't Who did? want Prince? Prince. Yeah, I think he just didn't want to be because he knew what we all would later learn. Maybe about Michael Jackson. Maybe maybe. Yeah, I think he just didn't. I, he, he didn't want to be one of many. Things. Yeah. At the time, it was wow, too much. And sense. Madonna might have been the same, or she or she was away doing something. Because it was right after the American Music Awards. Yes. Right? Yes. They go in a car. They yeah. get in their cars and go right there. Yeah. All night riding session. Yes. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. Yes. What led you down that YouTube hole? Our, I have three kids and our middle kid is obsessed with 80s music. Wow. And he has started to listen to Kenny Loggins to do his homework. Wow. Wowee. I know. That's I'm not, I'm very proud. Great. Yes, I, you should be. You're yeah, doing something absolutely. right. That's our older ones like in love with pop and anything that's in a club. Yeah. But the middle guys like Kenny Loggins, Whitney Houston, oh. I Want to Dance with Somebody, all time favorite song of his. Wow. wow. Great taste. <laughs> great taste being <laughs> yes. cultivated in this like, house. It really is, is great. Was Whitney in We Are the World? Ooh. No, it was just before yeah, her moment. Right. Yeah. Oh, it was but earlier. And. What's her name? Yes, Dion. Dion. Dion Warwick. Dion. Smoking cigarettes. Yeah. The weird thing is, to me, is Jodie Watley is in Do They Know It's Christmas, which was way before her moment. Right. She must have had a good publicist or something. Because it was post-Shalimar and pre-Looking for a New Love. It was just kind of this weird period for Jodie Watley, and she got the invitation And she was in there. She was hot. She was hot, hot, hot. Except she had no records out. Oh my God, she had a very good publicist. She had a very, very, very. <laughs> She's good like publicist. Angeline, like famous for being famous. Yeah. Right. Have you had any Angeline spottings? Oh, in of the course. Wild? Yes, I've seen her together. I embarrassed myself with Angeline. Do you remember when she ran for Hollywood City Council? Oh, if they yeah. made Hollywood no. its own city, that was her platform. Yeah. Now I don't know if she was advocating for the separation of Hollywood, or she was just saying if Hollywood becomes its own real city, I want to be on the city council. Oh. But I voted for her. Well, how could you not? I have, and then I saw her 
Uh, shortly thereafter, at a gas station, Pink Corvette. You've her? seen her. Of course. Yeah, you. Yeah. yeah. Yes, she's Many everywhere. Yeah. She's omnipresent. Uh-huh. And I said, I voted for you. And she's like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't. <laughs> doesn't matter. We're not a city. I was like, right. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Also, thank you would have yes. been acceptable. Not yeah. for Angeline. Uh, I was in New York last week, and I saw Malcolm Gladwell, who I think is the New York version of Angeline. Oh, really? Is he omnipresent? And he's just one of those where it's like you see him, and it's just like, ooh, <sighs> is this like seven days of good luck? Yes. Uh, another two weeks of winter? Like, it's yeah. something. there's something that happens <laughs> when you see him. You're like, I'm, in, I'm going in the right direction. Yeah. Yeah, Everything yeah, yeah. is right. I love that Malcolm Gladwell is the, <laughs> know, is the like, New York version York of Angela. our. Yeah, he's he's he is the, he's in the color scheme of New York. He's famous for specious reasons. It's sure, you know, sure, it's sure. all. Okay. I think it's the same thing. Whatever you say. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Morgan. What else is uh, what else is playing in your house? What about when you're oh. in control of the music, other than the kids? Oh, it's I love that coffee house mix on Pandora. Like I love Ooh, a mm. folky bluesy that's my jam. <laughs> my kids are like, this is depressing. You must immediately turn it off. Like are we talking who? about yeah, Joni Mitchell? No, I would I love Joni Mitchell yeah. and I have she is actually on my regular playlist. Um it's literally the Pandora coffee house mix so uh-huh. this is how out of t- i can't i could not name one band okay. maybe like a mumford and sons maybe. oh okay. yeah got it, i could got get, it. like that's the genre um the feel you'll get a colby calais probably yes oh amos lee amos lee in fact it's like frequently i'll do the amos lee station sure he's great background yeah. very soothing yeah you'll get a ray la montaigne yes a yeah. lot thank you there mm-hmm, we go a mm-hmm. lot of ray la montaigne sure donovan frankenreiter if Ooh. they're going deep Oh, you're going really you're deep. You're going deep. Well, I'm a human you Pandora. Can't help it. Yeah. Uh, that's there's some there's something obviously very soothing. I think about so, it. but my kids are like, please, yeah, for the love of God, yeah. And we have it where you can like play it in different rooms of the house. Mm-hmm. So there's a Kenny Loggins room. Yeah, there's a Whitney. But room. when I'm in control, I put that coffee house mix in every room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think that's nice. I think it soothes the soul, like a nice cup of coffee <laughs> Thank you. might. Yeah. What was Couldn't the last concert you attended? Oh, ooh, ooh, John Prine and Friends. Oh. That's like, now this is very revealing about what I got going on. But my gears are, t- I know who John Prine is. He but wrote Angel don't. from Montgomery. Mm-hmm. He's like a, a great American songwriter, and he was with Bob Ware from the Dead. It was like Bob Ware and oh, Friends. Sure, Patty sure, Smith sure. was there. Oh, wow. Um, Stephen Stills. It was amazing. Really good night of songwriters. That's what I did last. Mm. I got it for my husband. Wow. How about you guys? Uh, for me, New Kids on the Block <gasps> at the uh, at the Hollywood Bowl with I did hear you talk about this. Yeah. yeah. With Naughty by Nature. Yeah. With Salt and Pepper. With Tiffany. With Down Gibson. With O P P. It was fantastic. It truly was fantastic. If we can count this, while I was in New York, I saw the Share Show. Of course, we can. Wait. Not not share the share show that's on Broadway. Oh, and it's I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It's it is that is not the same thing as I think it's good, but I <laughs> loved it. <laughs> I you loved were on it. board. Yeah. yeah. It was a Tuesday night. I had an early day the next day. I didn't want to like call anybody I knew. I didn't want to risk going out and staying out late. So I was like, I'm gonna get one ticket in the last row of the theater and I'm just gonna see the share show. Like it was all my sons or the share show. And I of course <laughs> meant the share show. <laughs> And uh, and the mezzanine was about a third full, so they moved us up. 
Ooh. And, which was nice. And uh, there are three shares. I don't know how much you know about this I share show, but it's okay. I know more about all my sons than I know about the share show. Okay. There's young up and comer share. There is 70s TV star share. And then there's icon share. I, I believe it is babe, star, and lady oh, is how they're built. Wow. Although never called. They're just all share. So each one of them drives the action at different points in the story, but the other two are almost always on stage. So they, they communicate with each other because it's kind of also the different facets of her personality. Does Sonny make an appearance? Oh, does he? Definitely the middle section or, or the... It, pretty pretty early. Because, wow. yeah, because he... Uh, they met when she uh, was a teenager. She was like 15, 16, and she wanted to be a singer, and he wanted to be a young producer. He was slightly older. Um, it's it's incredible. Um, they do the really dumb, lazy narrative, like narration trick of um, like Phil Spector, who she's doing mm-hmm. backup singing for, is like, Cher, get up on the mic and sing, girl, sing. <laughs> and then she, and then Cher turns to the audience and says, get up on that mic. Yeah, but then she turns to the audience and says, oh, I sang all right. I sang so loud that they, whatever, blah, blah, blah. That thing of, oh, I verb all right happens 17 times throughout the show. And I don't think it's a theme. I think it's, yeah. they just got That's lazy. That's my writing style. Yeah. <laughs> uh, wait, is Chaz I wish that addressed? was my follow-up. Okay, Chaz is addressed. Chaz is always Chaz. Always Chaz. Oh, that's cool. And always neutral pronouns. So it's Very like, respectful. I want to spend time with my child. They need me. You know, Chaz is crying. It's all very, it's wow. Chaz is Chaz, which I think was a very a really cool, cool progressive way to, to handle it. That's cool. It's also like Chaz's whole story is certainly worth telling, but then that that's enough to sustain the whole musical then we yeah. don't have time to deal with babe and yeah legend and babe and yeah and we lady. got to just kind of um there is also a um uh and the beat goes on comes late in the show uh when Cher's acting career takes off she starts to get into the movies yeah. right so that is when young babe Cher comes back and drives the action because again, because now she's young again, she's in a, in a new thing where she's inexperienced. And, and so, and the beat goes on place, but they, but they change all the lyrics, um, to be like, Mike Nichols calls. (laughs) Right. And, uh, and, and I swear to God, uh, and she goes, and that film Silkwood. And then does a high kick. Right, what? and like, no. and dancers come out and do like a dance behind her, and it's like, did anybody see Silkwood? Because you don't dance about Silkwood. Yeah, not a high kicker. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then the lady keeps <laughs> popping up as she like rifles off the movies and the years, like comes up from from beneath the stage in the the Oscar outfit from that year. Wow. So you get to really the outfits are the star of the show. Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, it's Dave. I got to say, you do a surprisingly good share. Oh, thank you. Thank Not you. that I'm surprised you can do a good share. Just I've I'm never, not surprised at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've never you just it. go a little lower than you otherwise might. Yeah. <laughs> a little lower, a little slower. <laughs> share uh, on Twitter is something to oh, yeah. see. Oh, yeah. yeah. Her and her emojis. Mm-hmm. A lot of emo- mm-hmm. mostly emojis. Yeah. It's more so than fun more. to unpack and to just it takes a th- three to four reads before you go, oh, that's what she was trying to say. And, I still and, and, and am not. I'm still searching. Yeah, it takes a while. <laughs> I mean, you have three kids, that, so you don't yeah, have time yeah. to, to really, like, get in there, dig into Cher's um, messaging. But <laughs> yeah, I like when a big celebrity's clearly manning the ship 
by themselves oh, yeah. on social media. There, there's no one, no intern is doing that for her. She is like, on yep, it. I want three parentheses here, and then I want the pumpkin emoji. Yeah. It would also be cool if the Should president I, of the United yeah. States wasn't doing the exact same thing with the exact same the same amount of supervision. Uh, that shit is real scary. That's a nightmare. I would rather share be the president of the United States. Me too. Yeah, she should have 2020. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Morgan. Yeah. Let's talk about Gender Nation. Let's talk about it. You guys, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you um, for having me. So happy you're here. And you were saying the timing of this is good because you have big stuff going on in July. Yeah, we have Mark Duplass has signed on. He recorded a, a video and we're doing a GoFundMe campaign. And I'll first explain yes. what it is. Yeah. <clears throat> so we donate LGBTQ affirming books to public schools. And we have a list of 17 books that has been curated through Gender Spectrum and educators. And right now we're focused on California because... It's a lot of work, and so we just try to be practical yeah. with our initiative. But 17 books, and they go to schools. And we've now donated to all of Glendale Unified. I mean, this is very California-specific, but... But you got to start somewhere, Yeah, don't Glendale, you? Beverly Hills, just met with Burbank. They're signed on. Torrance, Fontana. Like, it's proliferating, which is great. Um. And it's a practical initiative that we're very excited about. It seems I can't believe anybody would not want these books in their Mm -hmm. school, but you'd be surprised. And you get to physically march up to that school once you have the books and deliver them. Deliver them. Yeah. That must be really something. It is. We um our first district was Glendale and we came to the principals meeting. So all the principals from all of these schools came out and each took a bag and that bag symbolized that school, you mm-hmm. know, which was very rewarding. Um, what are some of the books? I brought some. Did you? I know it's a, it's, we're obviously audio, but um, I brought some that are really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So Love is Love is one of them. It's about two gay dads. Yeah. Um, and how a kid navigates talking about having uh gay parents at school and how love is love and my two gay dads are love me just as much as your mom and your dad uh-huh it's okay to be different todd parr they're really Ooh. beautiful oh these are books. so good um, this one i love we have a sticker in here open books open oh yeah hearts, open minds this I book donated by gender nation oh how great and publishers like Lee and Lowe, who publish Sparkle Boy, they've partnered oh with us. Um, HarperCollins has partnered with us. So they give us the books at discount. And yeah. when people donate, we all the money goes straight to these books because our feeling was if these kids don't have support at home, then maybe if they're at school, they can see their experience reflected back to them in a book and feel comforted. Yeah, that's so important. Right? Yeah, that's... And it's so simple. I'm like, it's just, we all have a time where we connected with a book when we were a kid, regardless. Mine was the Helen Keller biography. Really? loved it. I was obsessed. I taught myself the sign language in the back of the book. And I could, I didn't put that book down. Yeah. Yeah. So do you guys have a book that... Gerald McBoing Boing. (laughs) Gerald McBoing Boing? Yeah. Who is he? (laughs) Do you guys not know Gerald McBoing Boing? No, I'm... Never heard. Really? (laughs) It's an early, I don't think it was written by Dr. Seuss, but it was illustrated by Dr. Seuss. Really? Or, or maybe or maybe I'm making that up. 
I think you're making up the entire thing. I'm not. I'm not. It's about a little kid who speaks only in sound effects. And like, you know, Boeing and Crash and, you know, he can sound like a train Mm -hmm. and, you know, whatever. (laughs) And he's actually rereading it now. It's, well, okay. So the story is (laughs) he... um, like he he just can't he don't, he never talks he just makes sound effects and so and his parents don't know what to do with him and so they they either kick him out or he runs away but then he meets like a colonel tom parker type who is like hey you've got you know you've got potential kid and puts him on the radio cuz they're doing radio plays and if you know a train is coming they put mm-hmm. old Gerald McBoing Boing on the uh, <laughs> on the microphone and he makes the sound and then he he's like he's useful and then his parents want him back which is not so great because it's like, you know, you he has to give up his dream to go. No, he can still do it. But the, the fact that he can do it and make money, I think, is what motivates the parents bringing him. Oh, 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 back. Uh, yeah, I got sends it. the wrong Into message. It's like, kid, get yeah. yourself out there. Yeah. And make some scratch and then we'll. Yeah. You're yeah. not good enough until unless the thing that makes you weird is also lucrative or, you know, useful in some way for us. Which I is can't not great. believe that your favorite kids book was about a kid who did radio. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I was me from a very early age. Did you have one? You're Gerald McBoing Boing. I absolutely am. <laughs> I didn't. I, I mean, I was a Wizard of Oz kid, which mm-hmm. was it. Which is you know the books, more, an, an, the books, the movies, everything, and the book is a novel. Like it's yeah. not. But I was digging into it as early as I possibly could, and was fully obsessed. I was also. I said this many times on the regular podcast. I was, I think, what we would now call gender creative and obsessed with all things traditionally feminine and I wanted to play Barbies and I wanted to rest. And I'm just looking at this book called Sparkle Boy that you handed me and thinking how much I would have, this is about a boy who loves things that shimmer and Mm -hmm. glitter and sparkle. And this is something that would have meant the world to me. Yeah. Because you didn't see your experience reflected around you. Were your, was your family supportive or? My mom was as much as she could, mm-hmm. given her limited understanding of it and the fact that we we're in rural Ohio in a really conservative town, my dad, not at all. I was taken to therapy a couple times, like very early that I don't really remember, but it was to, I, I'm sure in my mom's mind, the goal was just, just kind of like understand this. And mm-hmm. my dad's goal was to fix this. Mm-hmm. But Wow. We, I don't know. We certainly we didn't fix anything. I can tell you that what, <laughs> there was nothing broken. No, that's right. What was? I mean, do you recall, or does your mother recall what the therapy, like what the therapist position was? It's so funny. This is the first time I've talked about it, in, in as long as I can remember. I don't. I don't think we've ever talked about it as an adult. Yeah. I've oh, you and your talk mom, about me and my mom. Oh. Yeah, I mean, my mom now is so supportive and, and celebrates everything about me. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like too much, too much. <laughs> and every time she comes, brings all of these pictures where I'm like dressed up like Cindy Lauper. I'm dressed up like Dorothy. <laughs> I'm holding my Barbies. I'm, um, I have my strawberry shortcake nightgown. And these are pictures that I like purposely did not <laughs> bring with me when I left home. And I'm now embracing. And, yeah. Um, and she, I think that's her way of, you know. Saying I see you. And yeah. I love you. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I only have the, I have your mom's 
perspective that I've experienced with our the reason I started Gender Nation. Um, we have three kids, and our oldest, uh, a boy, he uh, just always like you, always liked, was drawn to things that were typically feminine things. And I really didn't think twice about it because I thought his brain's developing. Like our brain, when we're, our brain is developing, imaginative play is a huge part of building our brains. Mm -hmm. So I thought, why would you only have three colors to play with or a certain toy to play with? It just didn't make sense to me. Um, but I didn't, but I also had to navigate that thing of the outside world because we don't live in a bubble. And I was worried that people would be mean to him, which I couldn't possibly bear. That mm -hmm. was just too crushing to fathom. And I was also struck at how vocal people were. Even here in Los Angeles, people were really ready to point out what they were noticing in him, which also made because he was like, I'm just doing my thing. And if everyone's like, hey, I see, you know, it can be. You're just like, why am I getting this attention? He just mm -hmm. wanted to be himself. Um, and the years went on and around um, first grade, he said, I like know exactly where we were. We were walking in the hallway back to our house, um, back to the bedrooms. And he, it was bedtime and he turned around and he's like, mom, I don't know any boys like me. There are no boys like me. And I have to address specifically what he's saying. So because he was so young at the time, it's like, you don't want to, I don't want to supplement all of what I think he's thinking or what I pro projecting the future to be. I have to stay, you know, I don't want to be ahead of his consciousness. Mm. Right. So I want to stay with what he's saying to me. And I'm like, do you mean boys that don't like sports? Do you mean boys that like dolls? Do you mean, cause he did, he liked to dress up. He liked dolls. He loved fingernail polish. He loved this rainbow, like, um, pool beach cover thing that when you turn around, it really looks like this beautiful spinning rainbow. And he loved that. Um, so I said, is that what you mean? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you want me to help you find some boys? Because I promise you they're there. Mm -hmm. And he said, yeah. And at the time, I can't explain why, but I went to Facebook and I typed in gender creative. That's such a great mm -hmm. term you used. I typed in gender creative kids. Nothing came up. And now, of course, tons of things. But at the time, nothing came up. So I started this Facebook group called Gender Creative Kids Los Angeles to try to connect with other families. That was the original point. Very quickly connected with other people, other parents. Hey, my kid. Yes, yes. What? And then we did this informal play group. So we started to get together. Um, and that's really how it existed, was just trying to set up this padded perimeter um, for our kid. Uh, but we were in a Catholic school. Like he went to kindergarten in a Catholic school. And you guys stop me if I go on too much. No. no. Um, one great story is about navigating it as a parent. So first show and tell Catholic school, he's like, I want to bring Julie for show and tell. And Julie is his American girl doll. Mm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> you know, like my, I was like, sure. Mm -hmm, no problem. Mm -hmm. So to him, I was like, no problem. But inside I'm like, I have to talk to the teacher. I need to make sure he's protected because I can't, he's like a heart walking around. The yeah, world, yeah. you know? So we get to school 
And Julie has this, like, carrying case, this backpack thing. And we get to the edge of the grounds, and he's like, you carry Julie across the school, but when we get to my classroom, I can take her back. And I said, okay, so here is a kid who is already picking up messages, you know? And even though I wanted him to, like, raise Julie above her head and be like, hi, hi, like the Lion (laughs) King, like, da-da-da, I had to follow his lead. Yeah. Um, he had an instinct to protect himself. And so I had to stay with that. And, um, and I had not been able to reach the teacher the night before, but anyway, we get there and I look at her and my eyes are wide and I don't know exactly how to explain this. And I don't even know if she's going to, because it's a Catholic school, like, I don't know what she's going to say. Yeah. And it was my first, yeah, first experience with this. So, um, our kid waits outside and... Um, I said to the teacher, can I talk to you for a second? And I go inside and, you know, he had like a butterfly pencil box and all his pictures are like hearts with eyelashes, you know. (laughs) And she and I looked at her and I said, I I couldn't even find the words. And I just said, "Uh, our son knows he's a boy, but he likes girl things. And he brought Julie to school. (laughs) Like, that's all I could. And she was like, are people making fun of him? Like her first Thing. Mm. And I said, no, I know. And she said, uh, I already know this. I know what you're telling me. And I have his back, not only in my class, but the, for the rest of the time he's at this school. And I hear you and everything's going to be okay. And I'm like, okay, great. And then I sort of snap back into my body and I realize I'm talking to a woman in like a Hawaiian shirt and khaki pants. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, this is not a nun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she's like, she's got it. You know, and it went fine, and that was one initial time where I was, we were trying to find a place where our kids have to leave the nest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So how do we set up this padded perimeter, not just for our kid, but for other kids, and realizing that normalizing this experience, which is normal, people who, like, there's anybody who's like, we don't have that at our school. Yes, you do. Of course you do. Of course you do. You, You might put all of your effort into like tamping it down, mm-hmm. but it's there and tamping it down is so damaging. And did he ever come home with stories about being made fun of or it being an issue at school? Um, a few years, a couple years later, he, uh, well, I went, there's a few, I witnessed it mm-hmm. here and there, but it was like, I mean, at Disneyland, he had fairy wings on and a performer at the in the parade, these two guys that were chimney sweeps, like from um, Mary Poppins, uh-huh. they were like, "Look at the little fairy!" Like that happened right in front of me, but he didn't. I could tell that it wasn't. They were doing it to each other. They uh-huh. weren't. So it was an inside joke for them. Um, Look, you know, there were just com- lots of comments and. We've even had family members say things like, it's not natural, not in our immediate family. Mm. And uh, he held on to that for a couple of weeks on his own because he was trying to figure it out. You know, he's like, it's not natural that I like what I like. Like, he chewed on it with his tiny brain. Um, (laughs) And then he just mentioned to me that that had been said. And I was like, oh. I'm like, you're a child. Like, everything about you is natural. And, but 
I do understand and have compassion for for parents who struggle with wanting to protect their kid. So you go through that like, but does he wear a dress to walk the dog? Because what if somebody drives by and yells at him? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, no. Um. So we went through all different incarnations like that. And um, I'll say then in, uh, later on in a, at a different school, he decided he was going to go to school as a girl for a week. Um, after we had a birthday party and kids saw his room, he made a decision. He was like... He, he was like, I'm going to go to school as a girl tomorrow. And we're just open. Mm-hmm. So we talk about stuff. And I said, hey, can I call the school and talk to them? And he's like, yeah. And I called them. And then my husband and I had a meeting with the headmaster. And the headmaster's like, I, if if your kid is up for it, I'd like for him to talk to his class. Mm-hmm. Because we go to this really small school and the idea is that they're building citizens for a democracy. So he considered this to be like a beautiful, teachable moment. If he felt safe enough, protected, and wanted to do it, we were going to do this. Am I rambling? No. no. We are uh, riveted. Okay. Please. Um, so uh, he, w- he went to his teacher. And I, my husband and I were not with him for this. And... They took, they fielded questions from the class. And one kid said, I think this is really weird. This is very weird. And um, our kid was like, well, then that kid got pounced on by everybody who was like, it's not weird. It's fine. You know, and our kid had said, I'll take three questions. Like he limited the conversation Mm. for himself, which I appreciate too. He's like, I'll be taking three questions (laughs) and one of them was that comment but here's my point i was at target buying him a new wardrobe i'm gonna sneeze so while he's doing this thing i'm at target like rushing around buying all new clothes and um and then i go to pick him up and he gets in the car and of course all i want to know is how did that go how did the talk go but i'm like did you eat all your lunch today (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. keeping it light and bright. I'm like, and how'd that thing go that you were going to do? And he's like, it was good. And I said, did anyone say it was weird? And he said, one kid. And I said, one kid out of your whole class. And he goes, yeah. And I go, not bad. Not bad. Not bad. Like, let's move on. He's like, yeah, not bad. Um, and, then, and then continued the week. He did the whole week that way. A couple weeks into summer. And then, like I said, in following his lead... He, we just had a selection for him in his closet of what he felt like wearing. And he just, he's, which I think is pretty typical is they pick, sometimes they'll pick the identity, uh, identity expression that's just easiest. Mm. So for him, he's pretty much presents as a boy all the time. And he, he isn't transgender, mm-hmm. um, but he has, uh, we're just following his lead. Because he talks about his sexuality now, and now he's much older. And so we just set up the padded perimeter and wait, you know. There's lots of other things like doing your homework and playing yeah. sports and stuff that we got to. You still have to deal with that, yeah. too. Yeah, and don't talk back to me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> How old was he at the time of this presentation? First grade. First grade. Oh that is God. incredibly brave. Yeah. Yeah, it is. 
um, we develop these sound bites of like, I like what I like. You can like what you like. Because at birthday parties, there's goodie bags. Mm-hmm. And frequently they will be girl for girls and for boys. And he would, of course, always want the one for girls. Mm. And then I'd have to go to the mom and be like, do you have enough for, is there an extra that he can, you know? And or <laughs> one kid when we were leaving a party was like, hey, how'd you get that one? Yeah. And our kid was like, uh. I just asked for it. I like it. You can like what you like. And he's like, no, I like that. Oh, <laughs> he, uh, he, yeah. couldn't, he didn't know that he could even ask for it. Yeah. You are raising the kind of person that the world has not seen yet, I think. Yeah. Which is, I mean, obviously there are messages our culture still sends and that are received by kids. You can't, you know, there's not much you can do about that. But, I mean, there's a lot you can do about that and you're doing it. But, um, but this is a kid who is going to have self-esteem and self-knowledge from the beginning, which is brand new. Yeah. It's brand new. Like world culturally brand new. I, j- there was an, uh, show, a, th- a segment on the Today Show today about gender fluidity and there's like 10 states. Now you can, your gender on your ID mm-hmm. can be X in 10 states. Wow. Yeah. Like we are, the more knowledge we get, we are, um, I mean, I didn't know any, I, why I didn't know any of this until I felt compelled to learn what I could learn. Yeah. I'm still learning all the time. Right. Um, and yeah, I'm curious, I'd love to see the today show segment, but I would imagine that because you are, you and your husband are, are public people in so many ways that, that they're. That as people learn about your story, there is some potential for media attention and the decision between, you know, wanting to be this incredible example for other families and also protect your own family's privacy. How do you make that call? We, uh, aside from podcasts like this, we aired on the side of privacy, yeah. you know, um, we were asked early on. And now it's a little bit more common, these stories. There are beautiful summer camps. There's all kinds of resources now that are popping up. And, and California schools actually have a mandate now to support kids called the Fair Education Act, which is great um, to have equal representation in books, which is a big part of why we do the work we do at Gender Nation. It's like schools are already overburdened, so we're helping them fill meet this demand. Um so the world is catching on, but we did decide because, like I said, we didn't want to be ahead of his consciousness. So his right. story's still unfolding, and yeah, so it just didn't feel right to get to out there other than connecting with other families. Um, yeah, it's <laughs> it's fun. Like I still have the instinct to. Like, make sure he feels safe. Like, he's in love with that book, um, Simon. Um, love Simon. 
Love Simon. Or, uh, yeah, oh, no, the book love, is different. The book is Simon Homo and sapiens. the Homo sapiens yes, agenda yes. or something. Yeah. I'm terrible that I don't remember because we saw that opening night. Yeah. And P.S. Angelina and all her kids were right in front of us at wow. a tiny theater in North Hollywood. There's Angeline and Angelina in Morgan Walsh's story, <laughs> and I love it. I'd be more excited to see Angeline than Angelina for other reasons, but that's where not we don't have to focus on being Team Jen. We're not about that today. It's okay. Um, yeah, so he's obsessed with that book, and last year he went to sleepaway camp and was, like, bringing up. That was the book he was bringing, and I was like, it's your first year at sleepaway camp. Like, who? It's on a ranch. I don't know who's going to be there. Yeah. And he was like, I'm good. Like, I'm good. And he is good. He is good. He's totally – and our other two kids are good, too. Like, our daughter's like, this makeup is perfect for hmm. my brother, you hmm. know? Yeah. They – I take them to Sephora, and we buy Sephora out, you know? Oh, With my dream. Yes. I and, shouldn't say we buy Sephora out. That sounds terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like that you're at a stage where there are – there are all of these resources like summer camps for gender fluid kids and thing, things that that because you're following his lead, you you don't necessarily feel is the this is not the time for some of that. Yeah. Is that right? Well, I give him the option. Right. So there's a monthly group that meets. Um and he's come to that and loved it. And then sometimes he's like, no. You know, and I'm sure you guys have your own experience, too. It's like the first person you're coming to terms with is yourself. Yeah. Right? So you have that whole experience of that journey before you even get outside your own space. If Does that before make sense? Before you start deciding, oh, yeah. this is my community. These yeah. Are, yeah. And coming, like, whatever stretch of denial, if any, you go through in your own experience of, like, oh, no, I, I think I know this is about myself, but I, you know, maybe not. Or you want to put, you want to clamp it down. So someone reminding you that it's okay can be uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a whole thing. Yeah. And so were your, t- I mean, from, because from where I'm sitting, you have handled this so masterfully every step of the way that it, 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 it feels like you're doing everything right. Everything that I would have want, wanted, you know, my mom to, to do. And I'm just curious who you're, how did you learn to, to do that? I mean, thank you for saying that. Okay. Now I'm crying. Thank you for saying that. I, I don't know that I'm doing everything right. Parenthood is messy, you know? And we have three super different kids. Um, And I'm finding it on my feet. And I talk to other parents. I mean, I've been so grateful to have that was a big part of making that group was to I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, and luckily, luckily, there were people who wrote some books and were willing, even more willing than me to be out there and vocal so that I could um, learn from them. Um, I also think like, you know, a lot of times people say what you're saying where they're like, oh, you're, he's so lucky. And it's like, Mm. I, I truly don't, I feel like we're lucky. Like we have this experience, this human experience. Sorry, this is super heavy, (laughs) 
but hopefully we're here to learn and grow, right? So this was stuff I didn't know about. This was a, he he's actually offered me an opportunity to expand my mind. So it's really been a gift and that's how I look at it. I'm just like, oh, it's I feel very lucky. I feel very lucky. The the very we live in California. You know, we're we're um we are in a rarefied kind of atmosphere here when it comes to this sort of thing. Yes. G- generally speaking, yes. like you're still going to, you know, you're going to run into pushback or whatever. I find that boys especially and the the inner conflict that they sometimes have about not being boy enough or masculine enough is is at the root of literally everything that's wrong in the world. Yeah. I'm high-fiving yes. Dave across Silently the table. Across the table. Yes. It truly I mean it is it's, it is it undergirds everything yeah. that is negative. Yeah. Everything. Not yeah. just homophobia. Ev- everything. Everything. And even homophobia can really be boiled down to like I learned how to hate that part of myself. Why can't you? Mm. Yes. You know what I mean? So when you see somebody joyfully presenting as something that you are not brave enough to be, it makes you angry and it makes you want to lash out. And that's, you know, I, I, I feel like if we can start chipping away at that, we, there's so much in the world that we can accomplish. Yeah. The previous administration, the Obama administration, invited me to go to this symposium wouldn't it be weird if it was Trump? It was not Trump. <laughs> um, and that was a big part of it. Was There were pan- all-day-long panels, and it was about how to help boys who are born with a nurturing instinct. It's yeah. not novel. Yeah. You're born with that in you, and it's uh, squeezed out of you. Mm-hmm. It's denied, and you're exactly right. It just um, It's underlying everything. Yeah. What is the Jane Fonda quote about how we— Raise our boys. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no. I, I will fuck it up. If, but there's, she has an amazing quote about how there's so much uh, in the conversation right now about how we, how, how parents are r- raising their girls and that there needs to be just as much focus on how we raise our boys. Raising our boys the way you raise our girls or something like that in terms right. of, you know, um, encouraging their, you know, nurturing side and their sensitivity and, yeah. There's a quote in the back of that Love is Love book that talks about how it's so much easier to teach a child respect of others than it is to teach an adult not to disrespect others. Yeah. It's like that's a big part of also why we do this work. It's like get in there young. One in five kids, LGBTQ kids, attempt suicide. Mm-hmm. One in five. Mm-hmm. Like that's unacceptable. It's wildly unnecessary and that number drops dramatically with even just a little bit of support mm-hmm. um there <laughs> it just was, makes me so crazy I'm i like, know oh my god and and that one in five figure is only from when we started to even conceptualize the notion that there is such a thing as yes yeah. queer and gender non-conforming and lgbt kids yes that's brand new. My 
there was a, a story my mom told me when I was young. She grew up kind of, you know, um, you know, lower, like poor in, in North St. Louis, not poor, but not wealthy. And, uh, and there was a kid on her block who was, who was a little, a little like flamboyant, I think was the word that she used. And, and like how much, like how shunned he was Mm -hmm. and how, how tense things seemed to be between him and his parents. And and I remember asking what happened and, and she said, he, it's a the strange, he died in an accident. He was cleaning his father's shotgun and he, and it went off and he died. And when I was a kid, I just thought, well, I don't understand how that works. It, at 12, it was like, wait, no, that was not, that's not, that doesn't happen. Yeah. That doesn't happen. That was a young queer kid who shot himself. Mm-hmm. And there was just not, cause there was nothing, there was nothing for that kid. There was nothing for that kid. I just to, I think what I, I, my brain always goes back to is like, it's just who we are. We are born who we are. Right. So we're who, it's who we are. Yeah. So if that's the case, like there's no getting around that, you know, there's no, it will always be there. And so we have to figure out how to embrace ourselves. And just, uh, you know, I hope that, you know what I'm saying. Yes. What, uh, and and what's happening now? We, we, we've got sidetracked from, um, the Mark Duplass. Oh yeah. So with gender nation, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yesterday we met with, uh, the superintendent of Burbank and, um, Burbank unified and that's looking I just got scared that I'm saying it on the thing, but I think it's fine. Um, it was a great meeting. Uh, I'm working on a middle school list. That's my next mission right now. Our list is very comprehensive for elementary age kids, but middle school is like, there's some really great YA novels out there right now. Ooh. So, um, and it's just about, yeah, raising awareness getting resources to buy these books. Like I said, the publishers have been so great about partnering. So we get these books at a discount. It's like $220 to give a school like 25 books. That's, and it's, it's just such a practical mission, practical, but profound. Um, yeah, that's, that's where we're at. Any YA novels we we should read. The, I mean, the Love Simon book is really good. Man Up is another really good one. I don't know that one. Um, oh God! And of course, I give. I've been buying them on Amazon and then having my kid like read them all, and I kind of get an idea of if it's one he can just set aside or if he can't stop turning the pages. Yeah. And oh, I wit. I can't. Rem- he just devoured two other ones recently. So no, you gotta let, let us know. They're there. I yeah. will. And listener, we will let you know. Yeah. Um. Are you uh, familiar with uh, Teresa Thorne and uh, Feels Good to Be Yourself? I yeah. know her. Yeah. And uh, a generous uh, donor angel is purchasing 100 copies of her book that we're going to include in our right. list. Uh, Teresa and Jesse Thorne are the parents of a uh, transgender child. And uh, Teresa wrote a book called mm-hmm. It Feels Good to Be Yourself, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that is really beautiful. It's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, we've done the play group with them a few times. Yeah. 
So for people, I mean, everyone listening is going to want to support Generation, uh, clearly. Do they just go to Generation.org? Yes, Generation.org, and there's a button. I finally figured out how to do that on a website. (laughs) But it's a button for donations. Just anything at all helps. I mean, every dime goes to these books. And we did a big, huge book purchase um, at the beginning of summer. But we're going to be due again, especially after we give to Burbank, like... You know, we want to keep them in stock. I I sort of have this fantasy that we can nine one one books to schools all over the country. Mm-hmm. If we can't go district down, you know, maybe there's a school where we hear about, we read a story about something tragic happening. We get them a set of books. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So right now we're tackling California elementary yes. schools. We're about to tackle middle schools. Yes. And then are we going to high schools? Yeah, that would be we're, next. we're going national. We're going national. We're, Good. we're going worldwide. Yeah. I mean, but I would imagine that's the, the It's vision, a scalable right? mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just about man, manpower and resources. And it, we are a legit 501c3, which I could, you know, people were like, do this. Like, you can do it. And, of course, I was so scared. I'm scared. I'm supposed to have a book reading at um, Secret Headquarters Books in July. Okay. And we're going to do a story, uh, do like a story hour. And I'm like, I'm scared to do that thing where you throw a party and no one comes. I know people are going to come. Yeah. You'll but be I there. Have, you'll yes. be there. I have that, like, middle school trauma of no one's going to come to the party. Oh, They'll people are going to come to the party. And we're going to do a storytelling show, which you guys will have to be at UCB in our uh, sanctum in September. Yes. So that oh, fun. you guys will do a bit on. Oh, please. We're in. Yeah, I would love that. That's going to It'll be a mix of music and storytelling. Like actually reading these books? We're going to do, for people who don't want to tell a story or do a bit, they have the option of reading a little bit from a book Uh or doing something off of a book. Yeah. Um, But I'm hoping people just, it's like an open mic night. I'm hoping people just do a little bit about themselves. Oh my God, yeah. Thank you, you guys. Morgan, you Morgan. are my hero. You're such an inspiration, and uh, I, I love you. Thank you for doing this. I Thank love you. you. Thank you for having me, you guys. Thank you. Oh, you, Morgan started telling us a story off mic that was so good. We were like, we got to get back yeah. in. We uh, got to get back on mic. So you were asking if kids have said anything, and I remember that we were at this birthday party, and there was it was at one of those play places, and there was a big dress-up box there as an option, and our kid had like put on a fairy wings and a sparkle skirt and was running around and this kid was there uh and he had a Derek Jeter jersey on and he said to our kid like you can't wear that you're not a girl and my husband goes my grown adult husband said to a nine-year-old boy uh you're not Derek Jeter perfect Oh, wow. And you perfect. know what? He's not Derek Jeter. He's no, not, not Derek Jeter, and that is the perfect <laughs> slam. Gorgeous. I He dunked on that yeah, Derek yeah. Jeter kid, literally. <laughs> yeah. I also wish that Matt was my dad, your husband. <laughs> so please let him know. I will. Uh, we'll thank do the you adoption again, paperwork. Morgan. And if you have any more stories, we'll pop right yep. back. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. This was awesome. 